Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome one and all to the NFL Draft Punk podcast. We are back. Football's back. NFL is back. College is back. Everything is back. Exciting times. We will be looking over week one this evening. Uh, we'll talk about the big games for college football. We've done a lot on college football the last few weeks. We'll get back into the NFC side of rookies to watch uh, in, in the season and uh, and a sophomore to watch as well. With me, as always, Pete, Liam and Ted. Welcome, gents. Good I'm good this week. I have uh, I have a well, it's called a bit of a quiz question. So Jameis Winston broke a record this weekend with his five touchdown performance for 148 yards. Any idea on what that record was? The least amount of yards per touchdown. Least amount of yards for five touchdown performance. Well done, Ted. Oh, oh. <laughs> very good. <He's... laughs> The previous, of course, you've probably been aware, was Eddie LeBaron for Dallas versus Pittsburgh in 1962, who threw for five TDs and 158 yards. Big Teddy. Indeed. So, week one. Where should we start? Uh, Storylines, shocks. Ted, kick us off. Uh, Yeah, well, I suppose we'll start with our team. The the big surprise of the week, I suppose, was the Vikings... uh, Falling down to the Bengals. I, it just I, when you watched them in preseason, they looked lackluster. And then going forwards into this week, it was just the same blueprint for disaster that, that they always seem to have. That when they have their bad games, it's just it's problems on the O line and problems in the secondary. It just looked like the 2020 season all over again. And I think the big surprise is not the O line because we we saw that they made very little adjustment to it. But the big surprise was we brought all these names in on the defensive side of the ball and they looked poor, especially the first half. Second half, they kind of got it together a wee bit. But, I mean, Brashad Breeland looked terrible. Patrick Peterson did okay. Um, But, yeah, they're going to have to improve. They've got a tough schedule. And uh, although everybody lost in the NFC North, you know it's going to get competitive at some point. So, I think as a Vikings fan, it's uh, it's a bit of a worry was was that first game. That's what I was going to talk about, to be honest. The Green Bay Packers, did you going to mention them as a surprise this year? I thought they were nailed on to do New Orleans. And, and the defence is absolutely awful. And so, so was Rodgers in the offence. I mean, Winston absolutely threw all over him as well. And it was strange watching. It, I don't it was just really, It was just odd. It was just... New Orleans seemed to score at will. Um, I don't even know who that was at QB for Green Bay, just, it just, what was he doing? The, some That's... of the throws, like, we'll talk about Debo later, but that was just, 
a routine straightforward crosser route behind him straight straight into Adibo's hands. Yeah. Uh, it's just really a really really strange thing. You'd think that the way that Rogers is, he'd be fired up. He'd be wanting to well, do his usual thing from last season, prove everyone wrong. Well, that's especially after the off season they've had, and he's obviously causing the drama behind the scenes. You think come back. The last dance it was supposed to be, isn't it? I think the last dance is finished week one now. I mean, they've got to book. I mean, uh, the season's not over yet, but uh, it's a worrying performance first game. We'll have to see because defense as well struggled at both sides, just looked clueless. So we'll see if that's just an anomaly or just bad seasons for the Packers. Yeah. So some credit to Jameis, possibly as well. But to me, he looked like he'd slimmed down a bit, Jameis Winston. I don't know if what you guys thought. Think he looked like he was carrying the last couple of years, but he was scrambling for first downs and using his legs more than, than he has in the last couple of years. He used to do that a bit at FSU as well. But obviously, he loves the deep ball still, doesn't he? So he's still taking the shots. But Alvin Kamara looked outstanding. Jameis looked like he wasn't going to turn the ball over. It was a really impressive performance by the Saints, but doesn't excuse Rodgers with all his weapons around him. Adams was playing, Aaron Jones was playing, Tonyan was playing. Just, I don't know if it's just a slow star that that time spent in Hawaii and the likes away from the team, whether that's affected him at all. Yeah, said, I must admit, I, I written off the Saints pre-season completely with, with what went on, uh, especially with the, the cap world that they had. But, I, I mean, is this is this going to happen every week for the Saints? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you don't expect Winston to be an, an efficient 14 for 20 and 150 yards and five touchdowns. You expect, you know, five million yards, but 85 picks at the same time. So, yeah, and I mean, they did run Kamara into the ground. He had over 30 touches, didn't he? But the, the defence was decent. I mean, I know Green Bay didn't turn up, but um, I'm ready to write them off anymore I think if they, but the problem is are they going to have this game plan every week where they're going to have to run Kamara a lot because maybe they don't trust Winston a lot I mean yes he played well this week but the fact that they only had 20 attempts compared to what there must have been 40 45 rushing attempts um teams are going to get on top of that pretty quick so it'll be interesting to see later on in the season whether they can continue to play the way they did but yeah I'm, I'm ready to to not write them off no, I think you have to trust uh, Peyton, really. It, it, absolute proven commodity as a as offensive mind and, and play caller. So um, I, I trust him and I thought they could be sneaky good personally. Um, just as a nice stat for you as well, uh, the Bengals are 1-0. This is the first time in the Zach Taylor era that the Bengals have a winning record. It's the first time Zach Taylor's won a game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he tried his best to, to lose it. He's, he's, um, we did, we sort of haven't really mentioned hot seats. I mean, Taylor is on one. I think Zimmer is sneaky on one as well. Um, Taylor is is making in-game decisions like a man who needs to win the fourth and inches on your own, whatever it was, 35-yard line or something. That's Yeah, uh, that's, that, that's a little risky for me. But... Um, Shame on some of the injuries again. Saw Akuda go down, struggled with a bit of form and consistency last year. Uh, I think he's officially out for the season. Jason Verrett, again, just cannot catch a break. That guy, he's super talented, but oh, just really feel Every time, isn't it? That, Seems to me, be anywhere. Yeah, the, the, the big one was the showcase game starting the whole season off. I, I really, really, really enjoyed this one. Brady and Dak. Dak coming back from his injury, how would he look? For me, just looked completely fearless. Uh, and, and I thought both offensive lines coped really well with what both teams kind of pushed and, and brought. I thought it was a great battle. Not that I tend to, I'm not sitting there like a nerd like Pete looking at offensive lines, but I, I enjoyed the battle between Werfs and, and Lawrence. 
they did uh, they did sort of show a few um, few one on ones on broadcast, but really enjoyed that. Just really impressed with the with the whole game. Both teams just looked pretty legit to me. Um, don't know what you guys thought of that. Yeah, it's impressive to see Prescott come back and play like that. And obviously in that division, which was pretty terrible last year, the, the tripping over themselves to try and win it. Uh, Washington were going to be strong contenders and Fitzpatrick's out for a couple of weeks now as well, isn't he? So there's an opportunity there. Whether Eagles can sustain that level of performance that they had against the Falcons, but the Cowboys must be firm favourites, even though they got beat in week one with that level of performance to, to take that division this year, I think. That's the game plan they must have done because no team has like thrown 50 passes when they were in the game completely. You think you'd throw them passes when you're miles behind. And the last two minutes of the game, they were they were in front. But they obviously knew that the uh, Buccaneers' run defence was going to be fantastic and did hardly ever rush Zeke. If you're paying that man that much money, you didn't even use him. And Pollard looked the better player when he come on. That could be a storyline to watch. But Dax throwing, yeah, nothing. The shoulder looked fine. And the receivers... Three of the yeah. best receivers, apart from Gallup going out, it's a bit of a shame, but two, two receivers there, 1A, 1B, alpha receivers, they're going to be good. Yeah, the AFC North looks an interesting division uh, as well, I think. Don't don't ever not have any faith in Mike Tomlin as a coach. Uh, always yeah. produces. Always. Roethlisberger, I didn't watch the game, um, but by all accounts, Roethlisberger looked... Uh, as you'd expect him to look, and they're going to rely heavily on that that defense, which kind of puts us nicely into the two big contracts signed this week. Brian O'Neill, right tackle for the Vikings. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say things like who um, when that was announced, uh, which is a little unfair, I think. And TJ Watt. So let's start with TJ Watt. 112 million over four years, which is interesting for a start because he gets another bite of the apple. Uh, in his late 20s. Um, something apparently the Steelers don't do is they don't guarantee. Well, he has 85 million on guarantees. Um, he's also next season going to be the first non-QB um, to hit 30 million on salary cap. Highest paid defensive player. Uh, definitely a game wrecker. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I think that's... Um... The support of his teammates, I think, has helped tip it over the balance. There was some reluctance there. You're thinking, are they going to really go into the season without tying TJ Watt up? But his level of performance when he's when he's at his best is it's of unparalleled. I like that the the fact that he has got that four year deal. He'll be getting that. Um, if you look at Joy Borsas and Miles Garrett, similar level contracts. They've got their fifth year tied in. He'll he'll get another bite at another long term contract earlier than they will. So, um, a big big fan of that contract for them. It's something they had to do. You can't let your best players walk like that. Yeah, considerably more uh, P five base salary um, from a, a contract percentage standpoint than both Bosa and Garrett, which which was interesting for me. Uh, if you obviously doing your comparisons with, with similar type of uh, type of players. I'll come back to you, Pete, for the Brian O'Neill one as well. 92 million over five years. I saw this and I can completely understand why you obviously want to tie a tackle up. I, I don't see him in the same light as someone like Ramchek or uh, Jack Conklin. Uh, Jack Conklin signed his deal in 2020, um, which was 42 million. Uh, that finishes in 2023. How good does that look now, that that deal? Um, it's... It's a really tricky one for me. We'll probably come on because we're going to be talking about NFC North later with storylines to watch. But 
Yeah, if your O line is one good player and four poor players, your O line is poor, and it's almost whilst you had to pay him, it's almost counterproductive. And I almost feel that he wanted to stay in Minnesota, but the Vikings, I don't think they pushed hard enough on this one. Pete, from your standpoint of how he plays, do you think he's worth that ninety-two million? Uh, he's worth close to that ninety-two million, and I think in a few years' time, once the the contracts rise and rise. They're going up every year, and we've we've seen the contracts at the way they are now in sort of twenty twenty three that the spike even more. So you need to get them tied up. But it certainly seems at this moment in time, was he second or third most expensive per year for a right tackle? Second, second. Isn't it? yeah. Th- that in isolation is a lot for Brian O'Neill. He, he's a very very good right tackle. The fact that people go who is almost a good thing because you don't want your your tackles to be uh, to be renowned for being poor. You don't mean to hear your name called, but I, I still think it's a bit steep for him. You see, you mentioned some of those names. Uh, he's not as good as Ryan Ramchek, for example, uh, and, he's, and he's getting more than him. So for, the, for that comparison, yes, it seems uh, a tad expensive, but the need to do it because they've put a lot of draft capital in to the offensive line, uh, and to, when, when one good one does hit. To, to see him walk out the building would be uh would be... that's the problem isn't it yeah that's the problem you got you if you got you, you draft for these players that play to the uh, to get the second contract you have to pay them you don't let your good players walk out the door and especially with the minnesota vikings offensive line always being a problem <laughs> get one of them signed down then try and build some more around him hopefully some of these draft picks hit and there's a few more down the line yeah i think that's what i said about people saying who because if if you're a good O-lineman on a poor O-line team, you're not going to be hitting the highlights of, of like you see with Tristan Wirfs and like you see with uh, the Cleveland Browns or the Ravens plowing people out of the way <clears throat> or looking looking really sharp in pass protection. So it seems a little unfair, but yeah, it, it does seem a bit steep for me. Let's get on to college. Forgot to mention this last week, really. Big 12, um, University of Houston voted yes uh, to give in the AC, uh, to give in the AAC notice, which would require 27 months. So that is Houston, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU all moving to the Big 12. Big, really good stuff for for, for BYU here, independent right now. I don't know how that affects their scheduling because usually an independent is quite far down the line. 27 months from now would be 2023, um, December 2023, which is five months after the Big 12 want Houston in. Uh, interesting other storylines, obviously Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. They have not been asked to vote, although they are an existing member of the Big 12. There's also a 10 million exit fee for the, um, for the AAC, where uh, Houston, UCF and Cincinnati all sit in now. Um, Big 12 media rights are up in 2025, so you can see why they want these teams in in 2023. They want to kind of get them in, see if there's quality games to be watching so you can bump up that um, that negotiation on, on your media rights. Um, Texas and Oklahoma are supposed to stay until 2025. There's, I think I'd be amazed if yeah, that happens. Um, just not happening as well. The SEC TV scheduling is up, I believe, in 2023. Um uh, who, who wants to take it? And just an interesting question as well. What four teams or two teams do the AAC do? Who do they poach from? Um, who wants to start, Liam? Well, to be fair, 
starting the four teams, we we spoken it a few few weeks ago that the these are the four teams we touted. These are the ones that the Big Twelve could have gone after. And um, like I say, I think, I think that when they do get these teams, I think they will improve the Big Twelve somewhat. They will they stay a power five, five conference. I think they might do, but they have to. We'll see what happens with that. But they're, they're just not going to be as good as Texas and Oklahoma. They're not going to when the revenue day comes in 2025. I think it's, it's probably potentially will go down. So I'm not sure. And I can't think who the AAC would be bringing in themselves. That's have you got ideas yourself on that one? Have you got? Um, I thought Marshall would be an ideal one to to bring in. Um. I don't know whether Coastal are a bit young in their success. Um, I also thought Liberty. I don't know how they value their own independence right now. I also thought um, Tulane potentially as well. That's some interesting ones there. But yeah, I I, I, I don't know. It's they're going to be pinching from others. There's I've seen some rumblings of App State, which is interesting from from the Sun Belt as well. Uh, but yeah, like you say, there's no real star power as such. It's not, well, it's just it's the Florida market. They go for the Florida market, the, the, te- the Texas, the Texas market. Try and keep that in the Big Twelve. But the teams aren't strong enough. Teams you're losing so much of that. The Texas and Oklahoma, the absolute old schools, bring the box office. And yeah, we mentioned it the other week with viewing yeah. figures as well. It, it, but I am interested to see as long as Luke Fickle does stay because of the USC job opening wow. with, with Clay Helton being sacked. I think anyone will, would take USC seriously and, and would they'd pay a lot of money if Cincinnati, if he does stay at Cincinnati. I think there's a real opportunity for them to really power on and and be the sort of the primary team in in the Big Twelve. Pete or Ted, anything more to add before we get to this week's college games? No, like you say, the, that USC link, because the the athletic director at USC was the athletic director at Cincinnati who hired Luke Fickle to Cincinnati. I didn't know that. Interesting. So there's there's a, a direct link there. So whether he goes and, and poaches Fickle from Cincinnati just to, because uh, he, he, he's done it before and had success, that would be my, it must be the front runner. I'm not seeing the odds, but I'm guessing he's front runner for the USC I think he's... job. I think he's been targeted very highly, yeah. Yeah, because there is that link there already. Because Cincinnati, prior to Luke Fickley, wouldn't necessarily say they were a standout football football team, football programme. Obviously, in the AAC, yes, they've had some success, but whether they the, the, sort of the, the, the ranked now and doing very well, that's on the back of Luke Fickle, I'd suggest. And so whether they throw muddy galore at Luke Fickle to try and make him stay at Cincinnati, knowing then that he essentially they need Cincinnati to be high up for this new TV deal. And then, then it'll pay dividends that way. It remains to be seen, but I suspect he's on his way to USC. OK, well, let's get on to the two biggest games this week before we get into NFC Rookie Watch. Um, I think the, the standouts was the Cyhawk uh, trophy game Iowa State versus Iowa and Ted. Ted. <laughs> Oregon, Ohio State University. What went on? Well, yeah, what went on? Um, I mean, I, I suppose the writing was really on the wall when you watched them play Minnesota. Uh, I mean, the Buckeyes had a poor secondary. They were unable to stop the run. And that's exactly what happened with Oregon, really. They, they, they just... The, the defence was poor. 
Um, I, I mean, the, the offense for Ohio, when firing can beat anyone, I think. But again, they started slowly um, and it cost them. I mean, the, the defensive side, I mean, Coach Coombs, I, I, I don't understand uh, his his game plan. It just literally, I mean, he just stuck with uh, generic man coverage and Oregon saw it and that they ran bubble screen after bubble screen. They ran runs that where they brought the wide receiver into block. And then basically you, you had a guy free in the open space out wide every single time. And it, they didn't adjust. And don't get me wrong, it's not just on Coombs, but that, that was a real problem. And a lot of people are calling for his head already. He's, he's come out and he's apologised and said, yes, it's my fault, which is it's very big of him. Not many coaches would do that, especially not in the NFL. We see them all just trying to put the blame on other people. But, um, I mean, it, he was hell-bent at sticking to that game plan. And to be honest, he, he needs to adjust. Um, I mean, the, I still have faith that they can turn it around on defence because, I mean, you know, he, he was the uh, defensive coach that that defeated um, Clemson and Trevor Lawrence in, in the in the playoffs, and they did it very well. So as long as he makes adjustments, they, they should be fine. But, I mean, the, the Buckeyes made CJ Verdell look a good player. He's not a bad player, but he's, he's not a world beater, and that's what he looked like. And, you know, the, the, the QB for Oregon is not a particularly great player. Again, he looked great. He just... It was yeah. It wasn't a good game for a, for a Buckeye fan, and you know they still nearly won it. So I don't know. There's there's positives, but I I think playoffs now you you're looking for other teams to lose games now, surely. Yeah, I think so. So also, I'm sure people listening probably know know uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and know Justin Flo, who was five star recruit linebacker. Um, you talked about your offense. Yeah, uh, there was over a thousand yards of offense in the game. Three. Um, OSU receivers went over 100 yards as well. Mm-hmm. So it was like you said, it was certainly defensively is where they lost this. Linebackers seemed a real issue because it seemed, like you said, they just did the same thing over and over again. And it was like, we're going to carry on doing this until you can stop us. And if you can't, we're just going to keep going. And also just another stat here. I mean, I don't know whether they lost the battle of the trenches or whether essentially Oregon with that the wrinkles that they put that put into that RPO and they isolate um, in, in man on man coverage. Ohio State didn't have a single tackle for loss all game. That's just brutal, isn't it? When you've when you've got someone like Haskell Garrett in the middle of that defensive line yeah. and they're still running straight through you and you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, there's there's some problems there, that's for sure. That's where you won against Clemson. That was the pressure of the of the line, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and the blitzing um, linebackers. I mean, you lost a lot to linebacker. Four linebackers. Four linebackers. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the three starters and another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that was pretty pretty rough to get over with with some inexperience there. Like you say, CJ Bedell had a day. Twenty rushes, hundred and sixty one yards. Had the three receptions. That's twenty three touches for hundred and ninety five yards and three TDs. And like you said, he's um, perfectly capable in space, but he could have come out last year in the draft. He went back. But it's game. to be fair to him, it's games like this where, you know, you're playing big opposition. This is the difference between you being a, an undrafted free agent or getting, you know, five, six, seven round and, and getting drafted and, and making a roster. So good for him. Another stat for you. I know you like your stats. Ohio are one and four at home against ranked non-conference teams. I don't know how far that goes back to, but uh, just something I picked up in the week. Um, the other game, talking of uh, defences, 
Iowa defense are for real. Did anyone check this out? It's quite hard not to notice that defense, isn't it? It's the, just the takeaways, the the interceptions, and in the first week had two pick sixes, they had a scoop and score against Iowa State. But entirely sure they can sustain that level of uh, scoring on those takeaways. They can keep up the fumbles and the interceptions, but to lead them directly into scoring six points, I'm not entirely sure they can sustain that. But I think they might have to, because they've been elevated quite highly in the, in the top 25, because that offence worries me slightly. Spencer Petrus is quite inaccurate. And if teams can stop Tyler Goodson and stop the run, um, then I'm not entirely sure the Hawkeyes can move the ball against the top defences, so that that defence is going to have to keep playing its part and getting those points on the board. Yeah, they don't want to pass it, do they? Um, they, they really don't. Even the uh, the TD that you mentioned, Petrus, you could, the, the ball, he had a clean pocket and the ball is sort of whibbling <laughs> around in the air with no real true true rotation. They don't make mistakes, do they? And the offence doesn't make mistakes. They don't put the ball in harm's way. They force teams to beat themselves. You look at the box score of this, um, it just doesn't tell the tale of the game, really until you get down to the to the turnover stats. Iowa State, nearly 350 yards of offense to Iowa's 173. 4.8 yards per play to Iowa, um, Iowa's 2.9. Twice as many first downs. But then, like you say, four turnovers. Um, I, I didn't think they were... I didn't think they were all on Purdy. But I feel very underwhelmed with him. I, I don't really... This, you know, last season talk of him being an NFL prospect. I mean, I just... I, I'm not being harsh to the guy, but he's going to be uh, throwing at the at the combine when people, the wide receivers, do their drills. Not, you know, not much else. Yeah, he's not really taken the leap that I think people expected after his breakout year a couple of years ago. It's the same problem. He is putting the ball in dangerous situations too often. That that that's what he does. I do like the way he throws with anticipation at times, but he's, he's taking too many risks putting the ball in harm's way. Um, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be so, sorry. I was sorry, just going to say. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State started uh, Hunter Deckers next week because when he came in, he actually looked a bit more composed than Brock Purdy. Um, and, I mean, with that game, I mean, I, I um, backed um, the Cyclones uh, in our Super 6, and, <laughs> but mainly because I, I don't trust Brock Purdy, but I trust Spencer Petrus even less. But what <laughs> Iowa did well was, well, basically, on the other side of the ball. They, they, they made sure yeah. Petrus made zero mistakes, and then they just beat the crap out of the Cyclones, and that's exactly what they did. It was it was quite impressive, I must admit. Turned the ball four, over four times, though. Uh, you say you're going to struggle to win games. The, yeah. the, Bree, the Brees Hall one was terrible. Yeah. Like, like me and Pete spoke about it before recording. It was it was a really poor um, poor fumble. Didn't have to control the ball, did it? <laughs> no, um, and he's... Not really turning it on yet. I thought he he looks such a great runner when he runs with with he's got so much patience. But yeah, his uh, my my Heisman um, outside bet is not looking good good for him in our um, college predictions. Uh, two impressive corners that Riley Moss and um, Matt Hankins. Moss got two interceptions um, previous week. Matt Hankins got two this week. Uh, and Jack Campbell, the the linebacker, I thought was outstanding just showing up everywhere um just a quick question for you we obviously mentioned about oregon do you trust oregon to now go unbeaten do you, do you trust any team in the pac-12 i, I don't want to say with this for real i say oregon now they've beaten the hardest game on their schedule but the pac-12 seems to always be strip up against one another and you just I'd, I'd, yeah if i was gonna bet i would say oregon would be uh would go unbeaten now but 
I mean, he's always. Yeah, I was just going to say their schedule now: um, Stony Brook, Arizona, Stanford, California, and then the potential slip-up UCLA. That's it, isn't it? I mean, the the the, uh, the schedule is pretty weak, but it's towards the end where it's it's going to make the difference because, like you say, they've got UCLA. Uh, I'm not particularly sold on them. And then Utah later on. I mean, I know Utah slipped up uh, this week, but I still think they could be a, a, a decent side, especially in the Pac-12. Um, I mean, Oregon, I mean, they look good enough to to dominate, again, a, a, a division that j- just looks like no one wants to to take ch- charge of it, and they can do Definitely. that. Um, yeah. and, and then as far as UCLA is concerned, I mean, their litmus test for me is this week. So they've got Fresno State. Um, and Fresno State nearly beat the Ducks in the opening week. So if they beat them comfortably, I might give them the benefit of the doubt. But right now, for me, they beat a poor Hawaii team and then an underprepared LSU team. So I'm not ready to trust UCLA this week uh, at all. The, the um, Interesting, you bring the, the Fresno game up. I, I mentioned it, and I know a lot of people were very critical about the Oregon offense. They openly said afterwards that they kept an awful lot of stuff back for the Ohio State game. Oh, did they? Deliberately. So they they squeaked one against Fresno. And I don't I don't think you'll see the offense play as bad as that again. It, it was uh, they, they, they they knew full well if they had any chance of going unbeaten and, and making uh the, the playoff that they had to beat Ohio State. Didn't they put over thirty points though against Fresno? They really they struggled yeah. to move the ball. They really did. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to go back and watch that game with that knowledge because yeah. it, it seemed to go the higher State game. They just they knew what they were going to do. They was going to be get get that option and, and almost take out the higher State defensive line. That's their strong point. Take Haskell Garrett out of the situation. Don't try run it up the gut uh, if you don't have to. Just run wide left and, and throw these quick outs and throw the bubble screens and just take out the defensive line of the Ohio State out of the situation completely. So it'd be quite interesting to go back to watch that Fresno State game and see see how they did perform and see if there was anything they, that was missing. They've got Fibrido to come back as well, haven't they? Who's going to make that line stronger as well? Team players are coming back. Yeah, yeah. That, um, uh, Flo is actually out for the season, which is, is a blow, but they've got Noah Sewell in there, um, Penai Sewell's brother, who... I mean, he's not eligible this year. He's a sophomore. He's just going to be, he's just a beast. Um, he really is. If you want to know more about the Oregon offense, there's a really, if you're an athletic subscriber, their um, film guy, Ted Nguyen, N-G-U-Y-E-N, has uh, a good breakdown of the Joe um, Moorhead scheme there. So uh, that, that's quite an interesting read if if that's your, if that's your jam. Um, let's move to the NFL, shall we? We've dedicated yeah, a lot yeah. of time on college football. Let's, it's here now. We're, uh, we're, we're here. We're excited. Last week, we went through the AFC and did the AFC Rookie Watch. And also, as a little wrinkle, added uh, a sophomore to watch, a little storyline there. So we're going to do the same this week for the NFC. Um, let's start with NFC East. OK, so that's me. So I'm going to start with the Eagles. Uh, so my rookie to watch is unsurprisingly Devonta Smith. Um, he was my number one receiver coming out of the draft, so I felt it was right to mention him here. Uh, I suppose Smith's main criticism from his from his naysayers is that he'll have durability issues. I mean that's remained to be seen. And let's face it, the Eagles do enjoy a rich history of injury-prone players, especially receivers. Um, however, for me there there isn't a more talented 
receiver coming out of the 2021 draft. And he's had a pretty good start in week one. He caught six balls for 71 yards and a TD. And looking at the depth chart, he is possibly wide receiver one with only Jalen Rieger in competition. So he's going to get plenty of touches. And uh, just a final point, I mean, Justin Jefferson had 1,400 yards in his record-breaking year as a rookie. Now, I don't think he'll break, uh, break that because he won't get the consistent QB play. But my question to you guys is, at 1,200 yards as a benchmark, do you think he'll go over or under that? Under. Spicy. Uh, I, oh, I don't think you're going to get the consistent QB play. I think for him, for him to be successful there needs to be other weapons around. I think if he is your primary number one receiver and he's matched up week on week against someone else's corner, primary corner, I, and, and they're going to be press man every snap, I think that's going to affect him. And he need, and his success, there needs to be others around him. You know I'm high on him, Ted, as well. He was my number yeah. one receiver as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a criticism of him or what he does. I just think if you are just reliant on him, you're going to struggle. So I think his success depends on those around him. It's nice to see Riga get, because we were both quite high on him, weren't we? Um, it's nice to see him come back. Hopefully he can have a full season of fitness. See what Pete thinks. Yeah, I can't see Smith going over 1,200 yards. Like I say, it's just the fact that it's reliant on Jalen Hurts being consistent. Um, it's a promising start, but 1,200, that that would be a pretty, pretty impressive haul. I'm going under as well. I think it possibly was a little high, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it. Um, and really, it, it does rely, like I think all of you have mentioned, on the, the guy I picked for my sophomore, which is Jalen Hurts. And like I say, he's probably the main factor as to whether Devonta Smith has a successful season or not. Um, I actually really like Hurts coming out of Oklahoma. He looked a little raw in places, but all of his downside is towards probably the mental part of playing the game. Uh, you know, judging touch passes, decision-making and pocket awareness aren't exactly his forte. Um, however, his arm talent is excellent. and He shows plenty of power and accuracy and he will destroy teams when allowed to use his feet. Uh, but most importantly for me, he always felt like a guy who would come on with some guidance with some NFL coaches and he comes across as a winner. Every interview he took at Oklahoma, Philadelphia, even his time at Alabama, he always come across as a QB who has ultimate confidence in himself and his team and the awareness of the situation to win games. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that transferred to his professional career on the field. I'm not 100% in on him, but I have a good feeling that he's going to have a decent NFL career. I love Jalen Hurts. I think he's, like you said, he's a winner. He's a guy I can happily root for, even though he plays for Eagles, whose fans are scumbags. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the, the one for Whoa. me... Well, you've got to fire some shots. The... Um, the one for me is when he played in the championship game for Alabama against Sean Watson's Clemson. And uh, basically right at the end, he drove up the field and what looked at, looked to have won them the game before Watson then came back down the other end and, and won it for Clemson. But I just think, like you said, he's an absolute winner. So, yeah, two good ones there, Ted. OK, so next we'll uh, we'll look at the Giants. Um, my rookie I've picked is Kadarius Tony. Um, as you guys will know, and regular listeners will know, Tony wasn't my favourite receiver coming into the 2021 draft class. Um, but I do see the potential upside in him. And the Giants actually feels like a really good fit for him. I don't think he's polished enough right now to be a starter in the NFL quite yet. And the Giants have a decent group of receivers to bring him along. And until he shows the finesse required at the NFL level, um, he can be used as an explosive weapon in specific ways. 
And I'm, I'm going to go with the stereotypical way we see him, you know, in screens, jet sweeps, gadget play, stuff like that. And that's that's not being, you know, rude to the guy. He is very good at doing those things. And I think right now that's possibly where the Giants will see him. He, I mean, he runs short and intermediate routes really nicely as well, so they can get him involved. I, he only had a couple of touches week one, and I don't think he actually gained any yardages with them. But so they're they're obviously trying to get him involved at least a little bit. But um, but the thing is, I mean, D Daniel Jones is is not the second coming of the Messiah in New York, nor is he a very naughty boy. Uh, he's he's a quite a limited talent for me, and he could really benefit a true difference maker putting in some serious yards after the catch for him on some short yardage throws and, some, you know, like I say, some gadget plays. And Tony could do that for him. And I think he'll see plenty of the ball in the first year. And he's almost like an extra safety blanket to, to Jones, you know, on top of the tight end. And he has to scope to improve going forward in future years. So I, I, I like the guy. Like I say, I wasn't high on him in the draft, but I, I think he's got a future in the NFL. Can I say one thing? He's a uh, he's got minus two yards in the NFL at the moment, Tim. So <laughs> all, all four of us have got more receiving yards than uh, Kadarius Tony. He was a first round pick. But but we have got fewer receptions as well. Yeah, from a PPR perspective, he's still winning. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we I never had him as a first round. I liked I liked the player. I thought he was very good last year. Just he didn't didn't get a first round grade for me, so it was a very it was a bit of a reach for for the Giants. But I think he, if you get him, in, Giants haven't got the uh, play calling to get him the ball though, and make, make, make him utilize him as the player that he is. He's a gadget player, and he I just think the Giants I think he'd be wasted the Giants, but I'm hoping for him to do something. Yeah, I think he's got an opportunity there with the other receivers that are on the roster. But like Liam said, that the people who are calling players, I don't think they're going to get the best out of Tony. If he'd gone to a few other places, Arizona, San Francisco, even sort of Washington, how they used Curtis Samuel, I'd like to um, think that he'd be a success. The Giants, I think he's going to be be ruined, if I'm perfectly honest. I think it's a, it was a terrible pick by them. Same. <laughs> Three to uh, one. Okay, that's good. Okay. No, 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 no. I like him, but go on, carry on. Okay, so so my sophomore is Andrew Thomas. Uh, so Andrew Thomas did not have a good rookie year. Uh, he certainly didn't live up to the hype as the fourth overall pick. Uh, he allowed 10 sacks in his first season, and it was the tip of a rather smelly iceberg. Uh, he, he'll be looking to bounce back in year two to try and salvage the start of his pro career. And to be fair, he had a pretty steady opening game against the Broncos week one. Uh, and apparently that's after the reports that he had a good training camp and a steady preseason campaign. So, Pete, I've got two questions, really. Uh, Thomas's main concern coming out of college was being able to deal with fast hitch, uh, twitch, explosive defensive <laughs> ends. <laughs> uh, do you feel that that was the only problem that he had in year one? Also, do you feel that if he's unsuccessful this year at tackle, he could make the transition to guard? Because for me, he does seem to have all the traits and the body size desirable to be an NFL guard. Uh, he just looks really tentative. It looks like all the confidence has been drained out of him. It looks like he's been doing really well at Georgia and he's gone there. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's the stud. He knows he's he's the top of the tree there. And they've tried to change his technique when he's gone to to New York. And he hasn't responded well to it. Or he's, there's been a clash. And I think they had a change of offensive line coach halfway through the year. And that did see uh, an improvement in his performance. Uh, and it did. There was still one or two games where where he under delivered, but generally the second half of his uh, his rookie campaign was sort of night and day against his first. Um, so I th I think 
if, if, if just getting that confidence, I think in some of the pre-season games, I mentioned last week against Barmore, Barmore literally just walked straight through his punch and he's throwing his, his arms out there, but not without any real sort of strength or without any desire to knock somebody out of the path. And so that's, that's, a, that's a mental side that it's now affecting, which might be quite hard to fix rather than just a technical issue. Uh, and if you put him on the inside, I'm not entirely sure he's ever played on the inside. Yes, he's got the strength, um, but it's that's uh, still trying to persevere on the outside and trying. It might just be a change of scenery and a change of offensive line coach. Hopefully, we'll keep getting the best out of him because I think if everything physically is there for him to be a successful tackle. Get him, get him feeling like he like he's the he's the top dog, and get him feeling like he's he's the man. Uh, and, and then you've, you've got your left tackle there because we've got Nate Solder playing at right tackle. We've got Matt Piat, who's in the same draft as well, out of UConn as well, who I was really high on. So he's, there's people there who can, who can take his place. So get get him up to speed because I think the tackle is his best place, if I'm honest. All right, cool. So next is Washington. So the rookie I picked was Jamin Davis. Uh, possibly uh, Jamin Davis was a bit of a surprise first round pick. Uh, Jamin Davis is currently starting on the football team's depth chart at middle linebacker, so he should get plenty of time to show off his speed and vision that he showed at Kentucky. Uh, however, he was pretty invisible week one against the Chargers, so it's not what you'd call an ideal start for a middle linebacker. Uh, you'd expect their number to be caught quite regularly in the game. So we'll have to wait and see on the talented linebacker, but he was always going to be a bit of a working project when entering the NFL, and I'm not sure Washington will care too much about some of the early growing pains with the talent that he has around him at the moment. And overall, I'm pretty sure Davis will be a quality linebacker for many years. It's just whether Washington have the patience to keep him on the field early on in his career. Yeah, he got burned a couple of times week one, didn't he? He struggled uh, to get off blocks uh, with, with O-linemen um, going near him in the run game. Uh, I think I had him quite low because I felt he was very splashy. Um, he he kind of got a lot of uh, a lot of notice by... Uh, going up against Kyle Pitts when when they played uh, Florida, uh, he was Kentucky, wasn't he? When they played, yeah, when they played Florida, and I felt he splashed more than was consistent. So, but I did love the spot for him. Couldn't think of anywhere better with the uh, the front they have. They'll keep him clean. They should keep him clean, um, and obviously Del Rio there as well. Perfect. Smashing. So next, the sophomore. For Washington is Chase Young. It's a pretty obvious pick, but we'll run with it. Uh, Young is one of, if not the best, young defensive end in the NFL. Uh, a level of power and speed and agility he possesses is rare to find in one player alone. Uh, Washington is easily a top five defence this year, and Young is a massive part of that. Uh, his numbers weren't massive in 2020, but that doesn't tell an accurate story for the Ohio State product. He's one of the most talented edge rushers I think I've seen come out of college. And this year is his time to shine and show it in the stat column as well. Was he at Ohio State, was he? Possibly. Was he? <laughs> Losing Ohio he's, State. He's got to get them in, hasn't he? He's got to get them in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, um, we, already, we, we know how good he is, so uh, expect, expect him to really take off. Right, so next, lastly, is the Cowboys. So I've gone with Osa Adigazua. Um, Adigazua may be another player who was seen as a bit of a reach in the third round, although so far it looks like a real nice pickup for the Cowboys. He had a really promising preseason, so much so that the small frame defensive tackle has been inserted straight into the starting lineup at defensive tackle. Um, and that 
that duo was responsible for sh- sh- slowing down the Buccaneers' uh, running attack in week one. He's probably not big enough to play nose tackle, but Adigazua is an explosive defensive tackle who can get to the QB, and I feel he could be a real situational difference maker in his first season. Yeah, I absolutely love Adigazua. I don't even think he's reaching the third. I think um, that's what they're trying to to get Dallas haven't had that for a few years now. That that penetration from the defensive tackle position, the linebackers have been left out to dry a little bit the last couple of years. But I think him getting in there, getting pressure in the backfield, and just disrupting the play it doesn't make the tackle disrupting the play will give the linebackers that extra half second to be able to react and make the plays as well. I think it'll make the, the whole team better. And um, lastly, my sophomore for the Cowboys was CD Lamb. Uh, Prescott is back and watching the Cowboys week one game he's not only back he's bad as well Uh, the the likely beneficiary of having a top QB player is the sophomore Lamb showing real promise early in the 2020 season fully enough his numbers dropped off around the same time Prescott got injured last year Um, but I mean let's not get too excited Amari Cooper will still be Dak's number one guy but there's going to be a lot of yards and TDs to share around now Prescott is back uh, for me, Lamb was my top receiver coming out of the 2020 draft, and I think he was yours as well, Kev. Yeah. And I was disappointed he didn't get the numbers that I expected out of him. However, there's every chance he could go big in 2021. Yeah, there's a lot of mouths to feed there. Um, but I, I I think he's got everything. I just yeah. worry about the concentration because there, there, was, there was drops last season and there was three drops on Thursday night, of which probably two were on him. Uh, so I love him and I think he's great to watch. It just, like I said, just for me, he's got everything that length and route running, big playability, great with the ball in his hands. Catch the point. Can, the way he can contort his body to make them catches, oh. it's, it's absolutely scary. Just something, something else to watch. And I must say, Lamb was my number one receiver last year as well. And yeah, I think through the drops, some of the passes were a bit shaky for Dak. Some of them, but there were it was mostly seeing on the one that the big drop. But I, th- I think he's, I think he'll be the number one receiver. I think, we, I think eventually he'll take over Cooper. From, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, let's see, um, see how they go for the season because I can, I can see them um, usurping Cooper as well, to be honest. So, uh, or at least get an equal part. I, I think as a, as a trio, if they play, because um, they've not really got any a particularly sort of standout tight ends per se if they play a lot of kind of 11 personnel the the trio of receivers there is is oh, it's got to be among the among the best isn't it them and, top, Tam- top... Them and tampa isn't it yeah it's like the top three top three yeah they're, they're, they're the best receivers on show first game yeah definitely okay let's um let's go nfc west that is you liam that's me mate uh the first team we're talking about is the cardinals and the first rookie i think will make an impact for the cardinals it's gonna be run down more uh, he joins a very crowded receiver room with uh, Hopkins, obviously wide receiver one. But I think the number two job is there for the taking. I think it's Christian Kirk and AJ Green, the players he'd have to beat out. Uh, week one, he looked like he was the fourth receiver for the Cardinals of only 20 snaps. But he did have them four catches for 68 yards and only five targets. So when he's out there, he does seem to be getting them targets. And as the season goes on, I think he's going to be getting more ta- uh, more snaps and then more targets from even both Green and Kirk. I think if the Cardinals sort of start scheming some rushing players, trimming some trick players for him, get the balls in his hand, get him to use that speed, and it'll make the players miss. And I think he'd be a real weapon in what looks like to me, first game. He looks like a really good Cardinal offence. Uh, will definitely be one of the players to watch this year for me. 
Has he got kick uh, kick return duties? I don't think he did, did he? No. No, it's surprising. No, I don't think he has at the minute. Uh, can't damn who it was, but I think he's he's just he's on there when when they get a full receiver yeah. sets. It's it's they got him on there. Then that's he seems to be where he gets his targets. But the same first game, I mean, I think I can't complain for the rookie. There certainly should be space underneath if you if you got AJ Green and Hopkins wide, and and if you're going to bracket your safeties with them, there should be plenty of space underneath for him to yeah. make hay. Green sort of had the red zone sort of targets. Like, did he had six targets? Green, yeah. two catches only. Just but they, they were sort of with the red zone. It was it was uh, AJ Green, but I don't know. Older man, we'll see how he goes with Green. I think Ron Moore could be the future. Uh, the softball player I picked is uh, Isaiah Simmons. Um, Simmons sort of was the eighth pick last year, and then the Cardinals picked another first round linebacker in Zayvon Collins. Uh, I fully expect the Cardinals linebackers to be one of their big strengths in 2021. And I really do expect a breakout year for Isaiah Simmons, especially. He sort of had a quiet 2020 for me, really. But I think that was sort of down to the defensive play calling from the Cardinals, really. Didn't seem to be able to use his strengths and get the most out of him. Uh, week one, though, he had nine tackles and a pick. And uh, I think with better play calling and better using for years, I think he'd be very disruptive in 2021. Yeah, he's a freak, isn't he? With busy uh, six foot four, moves moves really well, but just seems to get exposed. I think with a lot of these linebackers, you mentioned Jamin Davis earlier as well, Ted. I think with anyone that comes in, they're they're just not being they're going to be exposed when um, when you're going to get a tight end or a slot player, and, and they're going to have to have to go man coverage to them. Yeah, I agree, mate. Next team I'll talk about is, is the 49ers. Uh, the first rookie of the rookie I pick for the Niners is uh, Trey Lance, obviously. Uh, we all know the Niners use a, a lot of draft capital on Lance, and I probably expect this to be starting by the end of the season. But I think for the time being, though, I think Sam Fran is going to use him in spells like they did on Sunday, sort of going to have some scheme players for him to come in and sort of do the things that Jimmy can't do, like on the running plays or attack different weaknesses of the defence. I think over the season, I can see him sort of creating more packages, get Lance involved a hell of a lot more. He had four plays. What did he have? Uh, one through touchdown, which was great for her, and then four rushing plays. So I think Shanahan is the one creating the plays. I think uh, sky's the limit when Trey Lance actually does take the field as a starter. This is all right then, sort of. I mean, they're not sharing snaps as such, but what do you guys think if they start losing? How, how sort of... Uh... That's it. How 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 friendly is everyone going to be in the QB room if they start losing? It's going to be quite hard to take, isn't it? It's <laughs> going to be um, whether he goes away from having the two quarterbacks both taken stops or goes back to know what works could be an issue, I guess. But um, I can't say I can't. I talk about the situation that Tony found himself in. Trey Lance, that's an ideal situation for him. Shannon's not afraid to bring him in on, on, on plays that specific, opens up the playbook so much much yeah. for them. I think it's anybody going into a 49ers offense is, is going to thrive. Shanahan's going to find what you do best and concentrate on that and, and ho- expand your repertoire slowly. Um, so you say, but by sort of mid end of season, Lance will be the starter, I've got no doubt. But uh, the, the impact on whether when they start losing or if they start losing. It's a tough luck. Get on with it. You're getting paid. You're getting paid millions of pounds. Suck it up, put a cup. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he'd be scared to bench one or the other if he, if he thinks he's going to win. But uh, I think I think we all think as well that 
they got a better chance of winning when Lance gets free reign. Uh, the sophomore player I'll pick, I picked uh, Brandon Ayuk. Now, it was a sort of a bit of an injury hit season for uh, last year. It seems to be for all of the 49ers players had injury at some point last season, but Ayuk definitely showed flashes of why he was a first-round pick. But going from game one, though, it looks as if uh, Shanahan's sort of going to give Ayuk the Dante Pettis treatment because he's in the dugout against the Lions. Uh, I think there was rumours of him breaking curfew with Trey Sermon. Not sure if that's been confirmed yet, but if that's just a rumour, but we'll see. But he was behind Trent Sherfield, the game one. And I think with a player of Ayuk and the separation he gets, I think he should become leading receiver this year for the 49ers. I think that's what will happen. I can't see him being the doghouse that long. I mean, what's your thought on... It's a strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, he he got no targets, which didn't help Not my fantasy exactly. teams much. But he um, <laughs> did he get something like seven or eight hundred yards last year after starting from week seven? Seven hundred, seven hundred eighty yeah. yards, yeah. Which is you know, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's yeah. definitely the player. You think going to be a breakout year this year? I think he still will. I don't know what's going. The thing that made me laugh. He said he's had a hamstring injury. Then he's on special teams and stuff. And you look well. What's that all about? I think it, I think the. Well, the same he broke curfew, that could be an interesting one because Sermon as well, not active. Mm. But I don't know. It's also like, a surprise, yeah. That, yeah, do we believe it? We're not sure. Um, all right, we'll move on to the next two teams. Uh, well, the next two teams don't seem to like to have rookies or value draft picks at all as they had the, some of the fewest picks in the league for 2021. Uh, the first team I picked is the Rams and the player I picked for them is receiver two to Atwell. Uh, picked in the second round at pick 57 and was the Rams' first pick of the draft. Now, there are a few receivers a lot better than that. Well, still on the board here. Terrace Marshall, Collins, Amaya Rogers, Amon Ross and Brown, just a few. That I, so I wasn't a fan of that pick at all, but the Rams obviously had a plan on how they want to use Tutu Atwell and his 4-3-2 speed. Um, McVeigh is going to have to scheme some players to get the ball in his hands, though. He's only 5 foot 9, 155 pounds. He isn't going to be winning any contested catches. So it's just going to be sort of speed and separation that will get him open. But then they've got Deshaun Jackson on the team now, though. So he's going to be surely the option on the deep plays. So I'm not sure what we're going to see him starting this year. He only had two snaps in week one. So unless he shows more at practice or the Rams get some injuries, I can't see him doing much this year. But on a team that is sort of in win-now mode and they've got some good receivers already, I think this pick was a bit of a luxury pick that could have gone elsewhere, but... We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, where is the O-line pick? I, I don't understand. I don't understand what the what that, that pick was all about, really. They're, I mean, they're loaded, but they're top-heavy on their roster. They're paying specific players a lot of money. And if they get a critical injury at one of those key players, they're in quite a lot of trouble. Um, I do fancy them this season to, to, uh, uh, to yeah. challenge, but that was a baffling... Just a trade when your first pick, you've obviously yeah, they didn't even put him as special teams as well, which I'd have thought they'd have done straight yeah. away. But, well, yeah, it's a strange weird. one, but that, well, I'll move on to my, my uh softball player and the, the breakout player. I think uh, I picked Van Jefferson. Uh, I'd love to have picked Acres, but sadly, he won't be playing this year, unfortunately, with his Achilles injury. Uh, in 2020, though, Jefferson was behind Josh Reynolds for the wide receiver free job, and uh, him and Goff just didn't seem to have a rapport at all. But this year, reports from training camps that him and Stafford were making plays together. And on, on Sunday, that did seem to be the case. They connected on that brilliant 80-yard touchdown where he probably should have been tagged, but the Bears, they just didn't do nothing. 
<laughs> he got off and took it home. And uh, he outsnapped to Sean Jackson, 34 to 14. So I think the wide receiver free jobs is his. And I do expect a breakout season for him on this sort of high-powered offense that I think the Rams are going to have. The, the, the Rams absolutely love Van Jefferson coming out of college and the fans especially. Uh, they were big fans of him. They saw in training camp just how what a clever receiver he is um, he, he, and he, the speed he shows and the agility he shows. Uh, his route run is exceptional. Yeah. Um, he, he, the only reason I think in year one he didn't see much of the ball is he's, he's, he's not the biggest and he tend to get pushed off the line when in press coverage he used to get get beaten by the, the cornerback and I, I think that's he's kind of learned on that I mean the, the, the thing is you look at him he's, he's quite wiry I mean I think he's quite tall I'm, I'm yeah. guessing he's over six foot I think um, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think he actually weighs that, that, that little amount I think he is, he's actually a, a decent number but he just looks a bit weak in the frame And um, but as far as talent is concerned Van Jefferson is a name to look out for and especially in a, a Rams wide receiver group where they've just got talent out of everywhere that's it, um, yeah. and uh, McVeigh loves to do wild and exciting things with his with his receivers. So I expect him to have a good year this year. I will say it was the Bears' corners week one where he was beating, which doesn't look good. So, but I, I, I agree with you everything you said there. I, I, I liked the player second round pick last year, and I, I think he's gone to the right team because the Rams are going to make him make a player of him most definitely. Moving on, then, guys. Uh, the, the next. Uh, team I've gone for is, is the Seahawks last, and uh, I've gone for the receiver Dwayne Estridge. We've only uh, three picks had this draft. Uh, Trey Brown done IR, and Stone Forsyth was a sixth round pick who played zero snaps. So there wasn't really anyone else to talk about for the rookies. But whilst I don't think he'll take over Metcalf and Lucky, I do think he'll take the wide receiver job over uh, Freddie Swain over the course of the season. He did play less snaps in the first game against the Colts, but I think that. And he also got the concussion from that nasty hit. So he, hopefully he comes back. He's not too serious, but he did take him out for the game. But if he's playing back next week, I do expect him to, like I say, be the third receiver. And hopefully the Seahawks are going to be the passing offense that they should be. You, you, you do like your small gadgety type receivers, don't you? I've, I've noticed the a trend with these picks. To, well, <laughs> the Seahawks seem to, as well, to be fair. There's a few receivers I named before. That I'd have gone before Eskridge. We obviously talked about it last year who we liked. Uh, but I don't know. The Seahawks seems to have a play. Got, well, one one catch for six yards. Can't really judge him on that, but we'll see how he goes this year. Is, is he returning kicks, do we know? I don't think he was. Was he? No. I've no idea. I, I know he was at Western Michigan, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if he is for the, for the Seahawks. Yeah, fair enough. Look, I say, not much to talk about the second, uh, sophomore players for the Seahawks, but I'm going to go for the first-round pick, Jordan Brooks. Uh, I think he was a sort of surprising first-round pick last year, really. Went before Patrick Queen as well. And then Queen ended up playing 858 snaps from week from week one. And Brooks only played 367 and was used quite sparingly. But he sort of, he, end of last year, I think he did start to sort of make plays later on. He did end up with 57 sackles, Two for loss and two passes defended. Not best for a first round pick, but I think he grew, uh, gradually got into the game. Did have a quite a high PFF rating as well. But uh, with Brooks now the starter, I expect a much better player from him in 2021. Uh, had 11 tackles his first game. Bit of a risky first round pick and nowhere near that on the experts' boards. But I think he's looking to be a, a justified selection, I think. And I think this year 
he's going to be a good player, that linebacker. Yeah, they were. Uh, they value the position. They were quite happy to let old stalwart KJ Wright walk out and have Brooks replace him. Um, yeah. So they, they, with him and uh, Bobby Wagner, they they value that position there. So good stuff from the two divisions. We will take a break now. End of part one. Uh, join us back in part two, where we'll talk NFC South and NFC North. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.